Well, I'm a uh, big sports fan. I'm a big baseball fan. My favorite uh, sport is baseball. I'm a huge Royals fan. Uh, you know, as a Royals fan, you know, the summer gets sort of long as they're on pace to be historically bad. And, and so one of my favorite uh, times of the season is, is when, uh, you know, a new sport, that kind of change in seasons, just like from summer to fall is, is a wonderful thing in nature. It's kind of fun to see a new sports season begin. And, and we're just getting ready for, you know, high school football games to start up and and college football has sort of slowly been ramping up and getting ready for that uh, season and of course the NFL is in preseason so it's just kind of a fun time of year when when those sports uh, change over and that new season just getting ready to enjoy and watch something new it it made me uh, remember and think of my very short uh, football career I know it's hard for you to to realize from looking at me now, but I've never been uh, too much of an athlete. And so the short career in football was probably largely due to my uh, lack of ability and necessary talent, but it was certainly also due to the fact that they started using words that I just couldn't make sense of, like two a day. And I just didn't, I didn't, I wasn't sure about some of those things. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, I played a few years when I was young in, in eighth grade and as a freshman in high school, I remember a couple coaches. The two coaches from those those teams stand out to me. They were they were very different guys. And in eighth grade, uh, his, uh, coach was an older guy. He was our our physical science science teacher there, and and uh, he coached that team. And and I remember one day after practice, I was waiting with my buddy. We were waiting for either his mom or my mom or whoever was picking us up, you know, for carpool that day. And so we're standing in front of the school after practice, waiting for a ride, and the coach wanders out and he's talking to a few players and eventually he comes up to our group and and he talks to a couple guys and then he says uh he he talks to me and he said uh hey Kaufman I said yes sir he said Kaufman are you ever going to amount to anything it's a odd question to ask an eighth grade boy. I wasn't sure of how to respond, and I've never been real bright, but I was smart enough in that moment not to say what I was thinking, you know. I just, I just looked at him and kind of uh, took that, that question, and I thought, well, you know, sure, I, I think I have a chance to amount to something, you know, was sort of my thought, and, and he asked me that and went on about it, and, and, and that's sort of what stands out to me about that coach. Uh, the next year, I had a different kind of coach. He was a guy who was much more encouraging. In fact, it was sort of the same situation. One day, waiting for a ride or standing outside of school, getting ready to go, and he walked up and he said, you know, uh, Kaufman, I think you could be a really good player. He was a liar, but, you know... he was well-intentioned, and he said, I think you could be a really good player and if you do this and this and this, and you can really achieve these things. And I, I, thinking back on those conversations, I suppose both of those coaches were trying to accomplish the same thing. They were trying to encourage in, in one way or another. They were trying to motivate in one way or another. They were trying to help this young person who I really believe that both of those gentlemen cared about to become better. You know, whether that was as a, as a football player or as a student or as a human being, they were both trying and in one way or another. We can talk about which one, you know, we'd rather have a conversation and which one is best and all of those things. But they were both trying to help somebody reach their full 
potential. That's an interesting phrase and sort of a scary phrase. It's sort of been a scary phrase for me my entire life. You know, can you reach your full potential? There's so much potential here. Uh, You think about the church in Corinth, and I've heard the church in Corinth that we've been studying described as the church gone wild. You know, it was just lots of crazy stuff was happening in the church in Corinth. But when you get to chapters like chapter 12 in the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, you realize that this church was just so full of potential. And Paul wanted so very much for that church to reach their full potential, just as God desires for this church, for each of us as his followers, to reach our full potential. And we can absolutely reach our full potential as we continue in relationship with Jesus, both individually and as a church. And I think this section of scripture that we'll study this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first 11 verses, that it highlights for us, it teaches us three truths about the Holy Spirit that we have, to, we have to know, we have to understand, we have to live out in order for us to reach our full potential. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the 12th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to take a look at the first 11 verses here. Um, maybe you're looking at that outline on the back of the welcome packet, on the back of that bulletin. There's a page number at the top of the outline that will take you quickly to chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians and one of the Bibles you can find in the chair backs around you. Uh, if you're using the Wallula Christian Church app, all this information, the outline and the scripture reference is all provided there for you. And so that's a great way to uh, study God's Word on Sunday morning. However you're accessing God's Word, let's make our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to take a look at the first 11 verses as we consider these three truths about the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, this is what God's Word says. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gift, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right, a a really interesting section of scripture here that teaches us three truths about the Holy Spirit. Truth number one is uh, that the Holy Spirit is always good. Holy Spirit is always good. Uh, now concerning. So Paul jumps into chapter 12 here, what we call chapter 12. He's moving back to maybe some of the questions that the church in Corinth had, or at the very least, dealing with some of the issues that Paul was made aware of that existed in the church. And so he's kind of been working back and forth through some theological truths and dealing specifically with some uh, different issues that the church in Corinth was experiencing. And he's back to some of those issues here, specifically spiritual gifts. 
Spiritual gifts is just one of those uh, interesting terms in Scripture. It's one of those things that we, we sort of understand, but maybe we don't really. It reminds me of some really basic sort of principles and truths in life that, that we think we really understand, but, but when you dig in deep, when you really study it, you know, uh, scientists and people way smarter than me have a really hard time of explaining exactly how or why they work. Take, for instance, something we're experiencing, every one of us right now at this moment, gravity. You know, an apple falls on somebody's head, we think we have gravity figured out. But when you really study that scientifically, scientists, scientists have a really hard time of, uh, they, they know sort of that gravity works and the effects of gravity, but they have a really hard time explaining how or why it showed up and why it, it works here and, and all of those things, sort of along those same lines and activity that we've all participated in probably, even if we haven't in a very long time, we all think that we could go out and do it right now, riding a bicycle, right? That, that two-wheeled bicycle, and, and there's some physics that can be explained about that, but again, scientists and, and people way smarter than me certainly have a hard time explaining exactly why that bicycle stays up on those two wheels, and you can make your way down the road. Some of us are pet people, right? We have some of us are dog people and some of us are cat people. For those cat people in the room, you know, don't, don't raise your hands because we don't want to judge you, but some of us are cat people. And we have, we have these cats and, and you, you, you know, you, kind of one of the things we like about cats is they might sit next to us on the couch or sit on our lap and, and they'll purr. And, and we all have experienced that. We know that cats purr, but scientists have no idea why cats purr. And they can't explain why some cats purr and some other cats in the species, of, you know, they don't purr and they don't understand why that works or, or how that happens. Uh, one last thing that we've all experienced, and you may see somebody do this this morning. You may will, maybe will experience this yourself this morning. I know it has nothing to do with the preaching, but we've all yawned before, right? We, we've yawned, and that's, that's going to happen this morning, and again, it won't have anything to do with the preaching. We don't know why we yawn. Maybe you've heard, like I've heard, that, hey, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with t being tired, but you yawn because, you know, your blood or whatever needs more oxygen, and it's taken more oxygen, but that's just a wives' tale. That's not what happens. That's not why we yawn. Scientists don't know why we yawn. We only know that it doesn't have anything to do with preaching. And there's all these things, there's all of these things that we, we've experienced, that we've seen, that we know are true, but we just have a kind of a hard time really, really, truly explaining them. And spiritual gifts a little bit work just like that. We, if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, then you've experienced this either in your life or you've seen spiritual gifts at work in the church, and you know spiritual gifts are, are, are something that's true. They exist. But everybody seems to sort of define them in different ways. In fact, in this passage that we're studying, Paul sort of jumps back and forth between two Greek words in his description of spiritual gifts. These Greek words that we translate as gifts, as spiritual gifts, they're, they're really two different Greek words. And uh, the first Greek word is, is from the root pneuma, it's breath, right? And pneumatican is a has to do with the spirit, things pertaining to the spirit. And then charisma or charismaton is another word that's used here that is translated as spiritual gift. And, and Paul jumps back and forth, and that means a gift that is given. And so when we get to this first uh, 
declaration, this first idea of spiritual gifts here in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, uh, there's this idea here where people, because of this flip-flop between the two Greek words, scholars are, are asking the question, is Paul talking to spiritual people or is he speaking about spiritual gifts? And my response to that is really, well, yeah. I think from the context, this translation of spiritual gifts is the very best translation. But Paul's talking about, in the broader scope, people who have these gifts and who consider themselves spiritual. It fits with the whole theme of the book, doesn't it? Where, where the Folks in Corinth had sort of set themselves up as, as kind of being super spiritual. You know, we're at this different level spiritually, so maybe these theological ideas don't apply to us, or maybe these responsibilities don't apply to us, or perhaps we can exercise these activities in our life because we're at this different level of spirituality. And they were doing the same thing with spiritual gifts in their lives. They were kind of moving themselves to this different level of spirituality that, that simply doesn't fit with the truths that Paul was talking, that there is one body and that every part is, is necessary to, to move in that one body. So he goes on to say, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And Paul simply reminds them that, hey, there's this spiritual battle going on, that at one point you perhaps were led in the opposite direction of God and that that can happen. We don't want that to be the case. We want to have the Spirit involved in our lives. We want this relationship with Jesus to, to be started and the Holy Spirit to move in and then to listen to the Spirit. Paul goes on to say you don't have to be you don't have to worry about being led astray by something else if you rely on the spirit verse 3 says therefore i want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of god ever says jesus is accursed and no one can say jesus is lord except in the holy spirit and so when Holy Spirit moves in, then we can listen and pay attention and be guided by Him and move in the direction of God, this, this great gift of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be talking about. I, I think maybe as we consider this idea of gifts and we think about this, this notion that the Holy Spirit is always good, we have to start at the very beginning. We have, to, we have to start at that most basic and most important gift provided to us by God. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, a section of scripture that you might be familiar with, he says, for the wages of sin is death. We all owe this price, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the very most important gift we have is the gift of salvation, the fact that we're rescued by a Savior. We're, we're saved by Jesus. And so this gift moves into our life, and, and God promises and a little later in Romans chapter 11, verse 23, 29, that he's not going anywhere, that the gifts that he gives are irrevocable, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God, God promises that he's sticking with you, that he's not changing direction. And this gift of salvation, certainly, we... You, he won't take it away. You know, it's not a scholarship that he's yanking from us at some point. He loves us too much for that. 
And, and he wants to continue to work in us through his spirit. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4, I'll probably read a little further than verse 6. It says, For the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And Paul returns to that theme that we, we talked a little bit about last week, and we'll see again being taught this week that there is great diversity in the body of Christ, that God has shaped us and formed us and, and given us different kinds of talents and abilities and all of those things that make us up who we are, but he desires for every one of us to use those gifts and talents and abilities to build up and to shape, help shape the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is always at work to grow God's kingdom, to grow his family closer and closer together with him and with each other. In fact, even as, uh, last week we talked about in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 31, that we're to aspire to these higher gifts. Remember, that that's not to move past somebody or to supplant somebody, but it's to grow closer and, and have our... our relationship with Jesus become more and more mature, to know him more and more, to be able to, to be of greater service again to his body, to his family, to his team, the church. The Holy Spirit is always good, and we can continue in relationship with him and allow him to grow us and change us from the inside out. Truth number two is that Holy Spirit is co-equal with Jesus the Son and God the Father. Holy Spirit is co-equal with Jesus the Son, God the Father. So we get to verses 4 through 6 here in chapter 12. And last week we jumped ahead and we saw Paul's analogy of the body and, and how it has many parts, but they work together with one goal, kind of one purpose. They're, they're unified despite their diversity. And, and Paul lays that foundation of why that can be true in, in the church because that's true with God. That's what verses 4, 5, and 6 really teach us. He, he says it like this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. It's so cool to see that at a, a very early stage, you know, one, one of the criticisms that some uh, scholars will make of, of Scripture is they say, well, the, these ideas have grown over centuries and over time. And, and one of the, the theological teaching points that they'll point to is, is the Trinity. But when you understand that 1 Corinthians is one of the very earliest books of the Bible in the New Testament that was written, and at a very kind of organic, natural way, here in verses 4, 5, and 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is teaching about this idea of the Trinity, that there is one God who shows up as, as God the Father, as Jesus the Son, and as Holy Spirit. You've maybe heard people describe the Trinity as, as being like water. They've used that analogy. You know, water is, is uh, liquid, and it can be frozen, and it's ice, it's a solid, and then it's a steam, and you kind of use all of these in different ways. And, and that's, that's really the truth that Paul is teaching us about this one God who shows up in, in three persons, now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
He talks about the Holy Spirit as being involved in these spiritual gifts, which is a natural fit, right? Because when, when that, that first major and most important gift of salvation, when we enter into that relationship with Jesus, well, Jesus promised us a gift, and that gift is Holy Spirit himself. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when, when a crowd is asking Peter, you know, what do we do? Now, Peter said, I want you to, be, to repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit himself is a gift in the believer's life and he's going to supply this variety of gifts Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. This, this title of Lord is applied and given to Jesus over and over in the New Testament. It's one of the, the first ways that believers were able to commit themselves to Jesus is by acknowledging Him as Lord. It, we, we use that term less, maybe uh, to our, our, not to our benefit today in, in describing Jesus. Every one of us needs to be able to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He's boss. He's in control. And, and as Lord, uh, Jesus always exercised service in his life. His, his ministry in his life was about service from the miracles that he performed to washing the disciples' feet to ultimately his decision to go to the cross. Jesus served over and over and over again. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be, uh, to, ser to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was about service. And so this connection of how uh, Jesus works in the Trinity as, as servant makes sense. And we have the opportunity in a variety of ways to serve him and others and to share his love uh, with others around us. And finally, verse 6, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So, uh, you know, the word gifts makes sense to us and the word uh, service makes sense to us. And this word activities sort of loses a little bit of traction. What exactly is Paul talking about here? And it's an odd sort of Greek word that, that uh, means, you know, this, this affecting work of God. And it kind of carries this idea that God is, is at work in all of those things around us. So in those gifts, God the Father is at work. And in those acts of service, God the Father is at work. And just the works around us, even in the work of his creation, God is affecting his creation. He's working through those things. Uh, and so he, he's laying out this fact that you know God is sort of the, the source of power through all of these. And so while... God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit are all God. They're co-equal. There's also sort of this hierarchy there that God the Father is, is the source through all of this and, and, and Jesus is subject to the will of the Father. You know, we talked about a few weeks ago the, the Trinity and we used it as an analogy, as an illustration for marriage. I don't know if you remember this. I asked, you know, how would you map out the Trinity? And some of us would map that out vertically. We'd write God the Father and we'd write Jesus the Son and we'd write a Holy Spirit and it sort of in a vertical formation because we think about it in those terms as Jesus being subject to the will of the Father and Holy Spirit being subject to the will of the Son and the Father. And I said some of us would map that out kind of horizontally because they're all equal with one another god the father jesus the son holy spirit and both of those maps are true 
Both of those things are right. We talked about this really unique and intimate relationship that the Trinity exemplifies, and that's what Paul is talking about here in verses 4 through 6, that there's this unique relationship where uh, Jesus and God and Holy Spirit are co-equal, and yet there's still this hierarchy that Jesus is subject to the will of the Father, and Holy Spirit is subject to the will of the Son and of the Father, that there's this hierarchy and this equalness, this oneness that exists in this really intimate relationship. And that's to exist in our relationships with one another in his body. The Holy Spirit is co-equal with Jesus and God the Father. Truth number two. Truth number three is the Holy Spirit empowers gifts for the good of the body. Verse 7 teaches us a couple of important ideas as we consider how uh, the Holy Spirit empowers gifts for the good of the body. He says, Paul says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. A couple really important ideas that we need to understand right away is that first of all, that these gifts are given to each of us that every one of us is gifted by God. The Holy Spirit is at work in every believer's life. And so when we read a list, we're going to read a list of spiritual gifts, and, and truly it's one of the most difficult lists of spiritual gifts in, in the New Testament that we'll work our way through in, in the next few verses. And when we read that list, we might say, well, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. Don't get lost in the list, because every one of us is gifted by God. The Holy Spirit is at work in every believer's life, and He's gifting us to serve God. And we're going to talk about that a little a little while later, but each one of us is being gifted by God. For what purpose? For the common good of his body, for the common good of his team, to serve and to build and to grow his team, the church. And so we kind of, again, get lost in lists sometimes, and we start to make this very individual, and it's not a conversation for the individual, it's a conversation for the team that these gifts are given for the body. They're given for the family. They're given for God's team. Verse 8 begins this list. He says, To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All right, so in the New Testament, there are, there are kind of four sections, four main places where you can read these lists of, of spiritual gifts. You might want to write these down so you can go back and look at them this week and consider these lists, all right? I want you to have access to these. So in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, you can read a list of spiritual gifts. Paul's going to make a similar list here as he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. That's the section of Scripture we're in right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Then a little later in chapter 12, there's another list in verses 28 to 30. We looked at that list last Sunday. And so write down Romans 12, 3 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 10, and then again 28 to 30, and then finally Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now other places in the New Testament, and 1 Peter specifically, there's going to be some lists, but these four are going to cover most of the spiritual gifts that people will talk about. And, and different scholars will uh, issue different 
compilations of these lists, all right? But if we do that work, it, it might sound like this. These spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament of teaching, ministering, administration, evangelism, pastor, exhortation, uh, giving, mercy, faith, discerning spirits, uh, apostles, prophecy, miracles, healing, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, all right? And so if you just compile, compiled all of those different lists in Scripture and kind of... Uh, you know, took out the, the things that repeat themselves, you're going to end up with a list of gifts sort of like that. And it's a long list. And again, we can kind of get lost in the list because we want to right away start thinking about, you know, where do I fit in and, and how, am I, how am I shaped? One of the important ideas with spiritual gifts is, is that it really is a part of our shape. It's not fully our shape. God has shaped us in this really unique way. He, he certainly, as we have a relationship with Jesus, Holy Spirit moves in, and there are spiritual gifts that he is going to work through us. And so there's, there's spiritual gifts uh, uh, which are a special capacity for service given by God to, to every believer for the benefit of his church, the body of Christ. All right, so these special gifts given to us for service, uh, to work along with our abilities and our, 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 our talents, our heart, uh, what we're most interested in, and then our abilities and our talents, and then our, our personal style, just kind of our personality and how we work through relationships in life, and finally, all the experiences that have made us who we are today, all of those things take, uh, make the shape that God has, has given us, and, and all of those lead into how we ought to serve. So when we go through these lists, okay, we could do several things with them, right? We could talk about uh, this list, especially in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, and we could begin to have a conversation about whether there are some permanent gifts and whether there are some temporary gifts and, and where we want to draw the line between temporary gifts and permanent gifts in the New Testament. We could do that. We could have a conversation about what exactly we think every one of these gifts mean. And you talk to different people, uh, different scholars, they're going to give you different kind of interpretations of exactly what they think those gifts means. But we could have that conversation. We could have the conversation, and this is where sometimes we get lost. Hey, somebody needs to tell me which spiritual gifts I have. And when we have those conversations, I largely think we are missing the point. Because remember, that Paul's emphasis here is on the unity of the body and how God wants to work through his team and, and how he wants that to be unified. In fact, verse 11 kind of leads to this point. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He apportions to each one individually as he wills. A couple things we ought to do here, I think. One is we ought to go through this section of scripture and just underline every time you read one or the same sometimes it's not the word one but it's the same there's one spirit the same spirit one god the same uh, lord and you ought to just circle that or underline that or just count that and realize that that's the theme of this passage that these gifts are given for the the building of his team of his church and the holy spirit apportions these as he wills now, when we look at that list and we start doing what we naturally do, kind of comparing ourselves to somebody else and thinking, which spiritual gift do I have and how can I utilize that? Then we read verse 11 and we kind of think, well, that's sort of unfair. 
why, you know, he apportions as he wills. And, and I think it's probably because we're kind of, we're, we're jumping the gun, we're missing the point of spiritual gifts. We think God has gifted us, and so we ought to serve. But in reality, we ought to serve and, and ask ourselves, you know, God will gift us for that service. I think that's how it's worked throughout Scripture. When you look at stories in the Old Testament, uh, like Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 6, it's, it's, a, it's a story that you've probably read at some point in Sunday school or whatever. Uh, God said, Moses, I, I need you to, you're going to build this tabernacle, and I've got some people that I want to be involved in the building of this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, and there's some stuff that I want to be in that, that tent of meeting. And so we read this list of furniture and, and the diagram of, of the, the tabernacle, and there are a couple of people that God says, Moses, I want you to go find these two guys. And there are really weird Old Testament names. Okay, you can go look at it in Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. But God says, I want you to find these two guys. And I've, uh, the Spirit has empowered them to build this furniture, to build this tabernacle. They're going to be used for this specific task. And the Spirit has enabled them to meet this specific task. You flip over a couple of books in the Old Testament to, to Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 through 30. You'll read about God saying, Moses, you need some help, so I want you to go find these 70 elders, and I want these elders to help lead my people. And God said, the Spirit has enabled these 70 men. The Spirit has come upon these 70 people to lead my people. The Spirit uh, empowered these folks for this specific task. And you say, well, that's Old Testament. And, and for sure something changes in the New Testament, doesn't it? Well, again, God calls people for a specific task, just like when Jesus called his, his disciples, these guys who would become the apostles. Like, like in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, he calls Peter, among others, and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Well, the only thing, the only talent or skills that these guys had to be fishers of men is that they were fishermen, right? They weren't designed, they weren't built, they weren't educated to be apostles. And yet Peter becomes what Jesus said, you're going to be the rock, this foundation of the church. Peter becomes that guy at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit moves in, right? The Holy Spirit changes his direction, in Acts, you know, Peter's described as ordinary and unschooled. But the religious leaders took note of what? The fact that he had been with Jesus. His relationship with Jesus, Holy Spirit working through Peter, changes him from a guy who runs away to a guy who runs ahead. It completely changes uh, the, the direction of his life. You take a guy who was much more, who was much better suited to be a leader, like a guy like Paul. You remember when Jesus encounters Paul, his name was Saul, and he blinds him on the road and says, I need you to go into town, you're going to find this guy named Ananias, and Ananias comes and he prays over Saul, and some scales fall from Saul's eyes, and, and Scripture says the Holy Spirit moved into his life, and he was baptized. And then... After the Holy Spirit moves in, it says Paul immediately started to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. This guy who was absolutely talented, who was skilled, who had great leadership potential, wasn't an apostle until when? Holy Spirit moves into his life. Jesus calls him for this specific 
task. Uh, Jesus has something in mind for you. He, he's calling you to this, this area of service. And before you look at a list, and before you say, well, am I talented? Is that a talent I have? Ask, is that an area where I can serve? God is really smart, right? And generally, he calls people to areas of service where they are shaped that way, where they are talented that way. You know, that's why God never called me to be a worship leader, right? He's not calling me to be a worship pastor because I don't have any rhythm, right? He's not going to do that. And at the same time, we've got story after story after story in Scripture and even events in our own lives, right? I mean, I am, I am not a very talented guy, right? Among other things that I'm really bad at, it would be counseling, I'm just not a counselor. I don't have a counselor's heart. All those things, I'm just really bad at it. And yet time after time, you know, God has made a difference in somebody's life that I've canceled, not because I'm smart or can do that, because I can't. I'm terrible at it. I'm like, go figure it out. Quit doing that for crying out loud. Right? But because God is at work. God is at work even in the ways that... I, I can't make a difference. He's making a difference through, the, through me. Holy Spirit is making a difference through me. And you've experienced that in your life. You know what I'm talking about. We, we ought to look for areas of service, and that's the spiritual gift, is that we can serve, and God is going to empower us and allow us to do that. He's going to meet that need. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. We can, we can live up to our full potential as a church. I watched just a, a little bit of the Chiefs preseason game last night. I don't know if anybody else did. I watched the first quarter, and I watched the first quarter because that's how long the quarterback played. Right When the quarterback goes out, well, there's no reason to watch that team anymore. If the Chiefs are to reach their full potential, the quarterback has to play. Right? I shouldn't say this out loud, but if he gets hurt sometime this season, the Chiefs aren't going to reach their full potential. He's got to play. He's got to play. The, way more true in the church, right? Way more true in the church is that when we, if we want to reach our full potential, we've got to give in and follow the leading and prompting and uh, direction of Holy Spirit and pay attention to Him. Let's stand and worship Him right now.